Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, an ongoing conversation about public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by former Haitian Prime Minister Michel Pierre-Louis. Dr. Pierre-Louis is now the president of the Knowledge and Freedom Foundation, known as FOCAL, which is a member of the Open Society Foundation's network. She also served as a 2010 Fall Fellow at the Institute of Politics here at Harvard and will, in just a few hours, be joining Lieutenant General Ken Keene and Ambassador-at-Large for Haiti, Sean Penn, for a JFK Jr. Forum discussion of Haiti's ongoing recovery efforts three years after the 2010 earthquake. Dr. Pierre-Louis, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having invited me. So. You and your family were exiled from Haiti when you were rather young uh, by the, uh, the dictator Francois Duvalier. Now, you had the opportunity to study in France and the United States, and then you came back to Haiti in 1976. What made you want to come back, especially given the depth of the problems that, you know, that country had? Uh, I must say that my family per se was not itself exiled. We had members of our family because I come from Jérémy, the, on the southern tip of the country, and uh, there was a big massacre there done by Duvalier in 1964, and several members of my family had to go into hiding and left the country really in exile to the United States. So I left at that moment also not considering myself personally as an uh, as an exile member of the family and I studied abroad as you said I came back to Haiti because the way I was brought up my father was a teacher in that city the way I was brought up was to really like that country to know that it deserve the best and it deserve qualified people qualified members of society to try to intervene in whatever area to make things better for the country. Even though we were under a dictatorship, it was important for me to come back after I spent so many years, 10 years studying abroad, and see what could I do in whatever area to make sure that I'm engaged in the recovery of my country in its development and in trying to change also the image that this country has, which is really poverty, violence, dictatorship. So I also have a passion for my country, for its history, which is to me unique, not well known, but uh, which has something about equality, freedom, that reaches really well beyond the, the, the boundaries of just that tiny Caribbean island. So many of those problems uh, continued and uh, were perhaps made even worse by the earthquake that occurred in 2010. Uh, it's been three years now since that earthquake. The earthquake claimed over 300, more than 300,000 lives. It left more than a million people homeless. Uh, you wrote in just just a couple weeks after that earthquake, uh, you wrote an editorial where you expressed actually a fair amount of optimism and even hope uh, in the aftermath. Do you still share that hope? Does that still personify your reaction? 
See, hope to me is a matter of ethics. So it's very important when you accept to live in a country which has so many problems uh, that you understand the ethical values that keep you in that place and make you continue to engage yourself in trying to make life better for Haitians. Now, it's true that uh, there is a before and there is an after the earthquake. And it's important to understand the linkage between the two. Things were not that great before the earthquake. But at the same time, I think we were in a very positive momentum. Since 2006, when President Preval was re-elected, there's been really a big engagement of the international community and also some kind of hope throughout the country that we were moving in the right direction. And it's not because I was prime minister <laughs> at that time. <laughs> but no, but it, I owing <laughs> in no small part, of course. <laughs> but I believe that um, my engagement at the, at the, with the government at the, that higher rank uh, made something positive also for for you know the citizens who said, well, finally, perhaps we're getting to a place where we can move forward. And then bang, the earthquake occurred. And you know, as you mentioned yourself, how many lives, how many deaths, how many injured, how many orphans, how many you know, handicapped. And also what, what it meant in terms of economic issues. You see, when you have all your ministers destroyed, um, all schools, um, all uh, universities, it takes time to go back to even ex ante, you know, what existed before. So I still have hope and I'm still engaged on a daily basis in trying to make things better. So what is the current situation in Haiti? I mean, there was a lot of attention paid directly after the uh, earthquake, but it's fallen out of the news as so many disasters like this do. Uh, can you give just a general idea to our listeners where things stand? Are, are, are you close to back where you might have been before the earthquake? No, not yet. And there are several reasons to that. And uh, again, I will talk from my own experience. You see, it's true that there was a huge mobilization, a huge solidarity movement. And we are very grateful to the international community at large and citizens everywhere in the world who got concern and, and probably gave themselves whatever they could to support the recovery effort in Haiti. However, there's been a lot of promises and very little has been delivered in terms of reconstruction. You know, after an earthquake, there is the immediate relief effort that needs to be taken care of. People need water, they need food, they need health care, and that, that really, we had a large solidarity movement. NGOs came by thousands, and the international community was there. The U.S. Um, um, ship that operates what in the bay, so thousands of people got really good health care. This is the relief effort that lasts maybe between 10, 10 to 12 months, a year after, 
because people were still in the camps, so we had to take care of them. And then there is the second phase, which is how do we establish a transition between that relief uh, phase and the reconstruction? Are we going into temporary shelters or are we going immediately into rebuilding uh, for the future, taking into consideration the new engineering uh, aspects that need to be taken care of? So the, relief, the, the, the second phase uh, took longer. And the, the, the funding that was expected for the reconstruction efforts has not arrived yet. Uh, and there is a problem with the international community, if I may say. You see, our timing is not the same. When a donor comes with a very large funding, uh, finance, when he finances different type of projects, he tells you, okay, I have uh, 18 months, a year, two years to disburse those funds. At the same time, there is a series of conditionalities that the country has to meet. And it takes maybe a year for the country to meet these conditionalities. And then after a year, you only have 5%, 10% of the funding that was disbursed. And the funder tells you, well, I have to gear this funding towards another country. Or we have to go through the negotiation of extending the, the, the contract. So it's very difficult for a country with, with such an issue with regard to qualified resources, uh, which where there are so many procedures that are imposed, you know. We have to have open bids, which I agree with, but it's a long process. You have to write the terms of reference, then you have to launch the bid, then you have to have the selection committee, then, you know, if, it, if no bidder uh, 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 applies to the criteria, you have to relaunch it. In the meantime, the funds are somewhere, and you have to wait. And after, the, the, the donor tells you, well, this took too long. We only have 10% that we can give you. So it's a big, big issue that needs to be addressed between the government and the donor community. So there have been a fair number of donations to the country and, uh, and foreign aid. Um, a lot of that was in the initial uh, aftermath, but somewhat continuing. Uh, has that money been well spent, or do you think that it could be better spent? There is another problem, is that most of the funds went to NGOs. They didn't go to the government. Mm -hmm. I don't think 5% of all the funds that were allocated to Haiti after the earthquake went to the government. Now, there is a pretext. Of course, there is corruption, there is lack of uh, governance, uh, governance issues, which is true, but I don't think it's uh, the only reason. You see, all these donors came with their NGOs. And even prior to the earthquake, you see, the U.S., for instance, which at the time was the largest donor in Haiti, uh, only funds through their NGOs. They have their pre-qualified NGOs and their pre-qualified contractors. And they are the ones that really execute all the projects from either USAID or the government. So 
there also there can be conjunction with the government or the ministry that is concerned, but the government has no real um, directions to give. Same with Canada. Mm-hmm. All the funding of the Canadian government, which is Haiti is a priority for for Canada, goes to their NGOs, so, Canadian NGOs. So what's the benefit of having that money instead directed towards the government, especially when there are you know questions over corruption and all, all these problems? It, it, it is true, but that doesn't mean that there are no corruption <laughs> in the other sectors also, you see. The thing is that they were after the government to have a plan. So if the government has a plan, let's see how we can make sure that if we give the government budget support, which means allocating the funds to the government itself, they can have mechanism where they can make sure that they deliver the, the, the funds to the project that really made sense and which were part of the plan. Uh, this doesn't happen. There are very few bilaterals, Span- the Spanish government, and then the, 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 multi, the multilateral, like the IDB, the Inter, Inter-American Development Bank, the World Bank, and the European Union, uh, which give, give budget support to the government. The Spanish government, for instance, says, all right, we're going to give you budget support. We're not bringing our NGOs, but we want the money to go in agriculture and education, in specific projects, and we're going to monitor that ourselves with the ministry that is concerned. That's a very good way to do things with the government, you know? Mm-hmm. The government lay out its plan. Okay, in agriculture, I want to, this to go in fishery. I want this to go in uh, the rice production. In education, I want early childhood. I want primary or I want higher education. Okay, this is the plan. Now the, the Spanish government gives the money to the government. The government has to report to the Spanish government, but the Spanish government monitors how how things are delivered. I find this a very good model, but not too many donors, especially the bilateral, want to go in that direction. They would rather bring their NGOs and the money is channeled through the NGOs. So you've served as the head of a government and the head of a sizable NGO. Is it from that experience that you're drawing that idea, or is how, how is that? Yeah, that was my own experience, and I think after the earthquake, since the funding became even larger, the government experienced it even more dramatically. Uh, from my experience, it's, at one point it was even worse. You know, Some donors... Uh, choose a sector and the minister is not even aware that they have a that they have a project in that sector and I was myself very adamant about that you cannot allow an NGO or government to come in your sector and don't talk to you and explain to you what they are doing it's very important even if the money doesn't come to you you have the right to have a position and say I want to be aware of what's going on in my sector, mm-hmm. even if I don't control the funds. Mm-hmm. So we tried. We tried to really have a, a, a round table in each sector so that each donor could come and explain what they are doing so that we could at least be <laughs> aware of what was going on. So if you could change anything uh, to perhaps speed up not just recovery but reconstruction, uh, would that be the primary thing or is there something else that is is more pressing? 
I think it would be important to negotiate the timing also. This is important, as I explained. Uh, if we can bring more donors to go through the government, even if they specify uh, the, the, the area or the sector where they want to, the funding to be allocated to, that would be great. It's a negotiation. And it has to do also with the policies in that country. You see, I think the U.S. government, if I'm, wrong, if I'm not wrong, uh, there was a, a law passed in Congress that that kept the government to give budget support to the Haitian government. So I think it, there has to be there would have to be a new law or a new executive order, perhaps, that could allow the U.S. government to give money directly as budget support to the Haitian government. So it really depends also on the policies, uh, but I think more coordination, more consultation, and a discussion on the timing. You see, give us more time, because we have to go through a lot of processes, and we have to take into account so many conditionalities that it's important that th the government has the capacity to negotiate the timing issue also. How long do you think it'll take to perhaps get back to where the country was in 2010, even even perhaps beyond that? You see, last year I was invited to New Orleans, and that was six years after Katrina. And uh, I had a very interesting meeting with uh, some of the stakeholders in uh, the rebuilding of Katrina. And they said, you see, six years after, in the richest country in the world, there's still so many loose ends, so many things that have not been taken into account, and the rebuilding is not thorough at all. So I think it's going to take us some time, you know, and there are lots of issues in Haiti. We need to tackle so many uh, different areas of uh, accountability, education, and um, and also build confidence. You see, if 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 the government lose the confidence that and the trust that the citizen has in has placed in you know the program that they laid out, it's going to be extremely difficult. So there are many issues at stake, and it, I think it's going to take a while. Well, Dr. Pierre-Louis, thank you so much for joining us today on PolicyCast. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased that I have an opportunity to talk about my country and to keep it on the map. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org. Thank you.